Welcome to episode 6 of Hysteria. Today, we are reading In the Closed Room by Frances Hodgson Burnett, published in 1904. Frances Eliza Hodgson was born in 1849 to a wealthy family. But with the sudden death of her father when she was four, Frances, her pregnant mother, and four siblings were thrust into an unexpected life of poverty. She spent much of her time reading and making up stories. After moving to America from England, she began writing to earn money. Her writing earned her fantastic success. Her most popular stories, which you may have heard of, include The Little Princess and The Secret Garden. Both of these stories, as well as In the Closed Room, explore the idea of social mobility and the idea that class, money, and status matters very little to children. However, In the Closed Room is much more macabre than most of Frances's other writing. The story came just two years after she divorced her first husband, so perhaps loss and isolation was weighing on her mind. Today, this story is read by Laura Byrne. Let the hysteria begin. In the fierce, airless heat of the small room, Judith panted as she lay on her bed. Her father and mother slept near her, drowned in the heavy slumber of workers after their day's labor. Some people in the next flat were quarreling, irritated probably by the appalling heat and their miserable helplessness against it. All the hot emanations of the sun-baked city streets seemed to combine with their clamor and unrest and rise to the flat in which the child lay gazing at the darkness. It was situated but a few feet from the tracks of the elevated railroad, and existence seemed to pulsate to the rush and roar of the demon which swept past the windows every few minutes. No one knew that Judith held the thing in horror. She was only seven years old, and at that age it is not easy to explain oneself so that older people can understand. Judith was not like the children in the other flats. She was a frail, curious creature, with silent ways and a soft voice and eyes. She liked to play by herself in a corner of the room and talk to herself as she played. No one knew what she talked about, and in fact, no one inquired. Judith's relationship to her father and mother was not a very intimate one. Their affection for her was tinged with something indefinitely like reverence. She had been a lovely baby with a peculiar magnolia whiteness of skin and very large, sweetly smiling eyes of dark blue, fringed with quite black lashes. She had exquisite pointed fingers and slender feet, and though Mr. and Mrs. Foster were unaware of it, she had not at all been the baby one would have expected to come to life in the corner hive of a workman's flat a few feet from the elevated railroad.
Seems sometimes as if somehow she couldn't be mine, Mrs. Foster said. She ain't like me. She ain't like Jem Foster. She ain't like none of them other of our families that I've ever heard of, except, hmm, might be like her Aunt Hester. But she died long before I was born. I only ever heard Mother tell about her. Mother said she had that kind of lily-white complexion and long, slender fingers that was so supple she could curl them back like they was double-jointed. And her eyes were big and eyelashes stood out round them, but they was brown. Mother said she wasn't like any other kind of girl, and she thinks Judith may turn out like her. Aunt Hester wasn't but 15 when she died. She never was ill in all her life, but one morning she just didn't come down to breakfast, and when they went up to call her, she was sitting at her window, resting her chin on her hand, and with her face turned up smiling as if she was talking to someone. Judith had heard of her Aunt Hester, but she only knew that she herself had hands like her, and that her life was ended quite young. That's all she knew. And she was not aware that Judith hated the railroad. So she was not aware that she was fond of the faraway Aunt Hester with the long pointed fingers that could curl backwards. She did not know that when she was playing in a corner of her room, where it was her way to sit on her little chair with her face turned up against the wall, she often sat curving her small long fingers back and talking to herself with Aunt Hester. Mrs. Foster didn't know any of this. Judith knew her Aunt Hester as her mother did not. She had seen her in her dreams and had a secret fancy that she could dream her up if she wished to. She was very fond of dreaming her. The places where she came upon Aunt Hester were strange and lovely places where the air breathed and smelled like flowers and everything was lovely in a new way. And when one moved, one felt so light that the movement was delightful. And when one wakened, one had not quite got over the lightness, and for a few moments it felt as if one would just float out of bed. On the hot night through whose first hours Judith lay panting in her corner room, she was tormented and kept awake by the constant roar and rush and flash of lights she was trying to go to sleep with. If she could fall awake, she would feel and hear none of it. It would be unreal, and she would only know the lightness and air like flowers, and the lovely brightness were true. She'd be able to see Aunt Hester. Once as she tossed on her cot bed, she broke into a low little laugh to think of how untrue things really were, and how strange it was that people did not understand that even she felt as she lay in the darkness that she could not get away. She could not get away unless the train would just stop long enough to let her fall asleep. And if she could fall asleep between trains, she would not awaken. But they seemed go quickly, one right after the other. There was in her strange little soul a secret no one knew the existence of. It was the vague belief that she told herself that was not quite real or that she did not belong to the life that she had been born into. Her mother and father loved her and she loved them, but sometimes she was on the brink of telling them that she could not stay long, that some mistake had been made. What mistake or where it was she was to go to if she went, she did not know. Just once or twice in her life, she had seen places and things which did not seem so foreign. 
Once, when she had been taken to the park in the spring, she had wandered away from her mother to a sequestered place among the shrubs and trees. There had been a stillness there and scents and colors that she knew. And when she pushed her way through the greenness of the shrubbery to the driveway, she found herself quite near an open carriage which had stopped because the lady who sat in it was speaking to a friend the on the path. The lady was a young woman dressed in a delicate spring color and the little girl at her side was dressed in white cloth and it was the little girl Judith found herself gazing upon. Under her large white hat, her little face seemed like a white flower. She had a dimple near her mouth. Her hair was a rich coppery red and hung heavy about her cheeks and shoulders. She lifted her head a little when the child in the common frock and hat passed through the greenness of the bushes and looked at Judith. They gazed as if they had known each other for ages and years and separated by nothing. Each of them was quite happy at being near the other, and there was not in the mind of the other any question of not being near each other again. The question did not rise in Judith's mind, not even when a very few minutes after the carriage moved away and was lost in the crowd of equipages rolling by. At the hottest hours of the hot night, Judith recalled herself of the coolness of the previous day. She brought back to the fresh paleness of the nook among the bushes in which she had bossed her way. The scent of the leaves and the grass she had drawn in as she breathed, and the child. She seemed as though she thought of these things, and she continued to remember yet other things, and bit by bit she felt less hot. She gradually forgot to listen to the roar of the train and smiled still more. She lay quite still and was quite cool. A tiny fresh breeze fluttered through the window and played about her forehead. She was smiling in delight as her eyelids drooped and closed. She remembered no dream, saw nothing, felt nothing until, as it seemed to her in the early morning, she opened her eyes. All was still and clear. The room was pure and sweet. There was no sound of anything, and curiously enough, she was not surprised by this, nor did she expect to hear anything disturbing. She did not look around the room. Her eyes remained resting upon what she first saw, and she was not surprised by this either. A little girl about her own age was standing smiling at her. She had large eyes, a deep dimple near her mouth, and coppery red hair which fell about her cheeks and shoulders. Judith knew her and smiled back to her. She lifted her hand, and it was pure white, a little hand with long, tapering fingers. Then she was gone. In a few seconds, Judith was awake, and the air of the room had changed. The noise and clatter of the streets came in at the window, and the elevated train went thundering by. When Jem came home from his work, his supper was not ready. Jane was sitting helplessly by the window, almost livid in her pallor. Hello, said Jem. It's done you up, ain't it? Well, I guess it has. I'll never get over it presently, and, ah, uh, I don't know. Then I can get you a cold bite. I just stand, can't stand to cook over the stove. Cold bite is all a man wants on a night like this. But I got news for you. It's cheered me up a bit. What is it? Well, it came through my boss. 
He's always been real friendly to me, and today he was asking if it wasn't uh, pretty hot and noisy down here, and I told him how we stood it, and he said he believed he could get us a better place to stay in through the summer. Uh, someone told him that uh, he has had some trouble in his family, and he's obliged to close his house and take his wife away into the mountains. They've got a beautiful big house in one of them uh, far up streets by the park, and he just wants to get some caretakers in. Uh, the boss said he could recommend us fast enough, and there's a big uh, basement that'll be as cool as the woods. Uh, we can move in tomorrow, and uh, all we got to do is just see to things and make sure everything's safe in the home and live happy. Oh, Jem, Jane exclaimed. That sounds too good to be true. Up by the park, a big cool place to live. Oh, you know what they look like on the outside. They say they're bigger than they look, and it's your business to go over the rooms every day just to see that nothing's gone wrong with them. You know, like moths or dirt, I suppose. And it's all left open, but just uh, uh, one room they've locked, and they don't want anyone interfering with that. But uh, I'll tell you, I was so glad I scarcely knew what to say. A big house up there, said Jane. And only one closed-off room to look after? Huh, it's too good to be true. Whether it's true or not, we'll move out there tomorrow, said Jim. Tomorrow bright and early, the boss said the sooner the better. The large house left deserted by those who have filled its rooms with emotion and life expresses a silent quality all its own. The house unfurnished in empty rooms seemed impressively silent. The carpets accustomed to the pressure of constantly passing feet, the chairs and sofas that held human warmth. All of these things, when left alone, seemed to be, strangely, left alone, left arrested, as if by some spell intensifying the effect of the pause in their existence. The owners of the house had evidently deserted it suddenly. The windows had not been boarded up and the rooms had been left in their ordinary condition. The house was beautiful and spacious. The loftiness of the walls, the breadth of the space around it, made Jane at intervals draw her breath in with the pleasure of it. Beyond all the things, she rejoiced in the height and space and the sweep of the view from one large room to the other. She continually paused and stood with her face lifted, looking out at the pictured things floating on the ceiling above her. Once she stood doing this long enough, she forgot herself and was startled by her mother's laugh. Wake up, Judy. Have you gone off in a dream? You look all the time as if you was walking in your sleep. She held up a wax-white hyacinth and large rosebuds faded to discoloration. This is just dropped off of some decoration area. Just go up and get the waste paper basket in the library and we'll drop things into it. We can just take it around with us. Judith carried the flowers into the library and then to pick up the basket as she dropped the flowers into it. She raised her head and found her eyes looking directly into eyes which gazed at her from the wall. They were the smiling face of a child in a picture. As soon as she saw them, Judith drew in her breath and stood smiling in response too. The picture was of a little girl in a floating right frock. She had a dimple at one quarter of her mouth, and her hanging hair was like burnished copper. She held up a slender hand with pointed fingers, and Judith knew her. Oh, she knew her quite well. She had never felt so near anyone else throughout her life. Judy, Judy, Jane Foster called out as Judith returned to her. We've got to get a move on. What was you looking at? 
Well, there's a picture in there of a little girl I know, said Judith. I don't know her name, but I saw her in the park once and I dreamed about her. Dreamed about her? Well, ain't that a queer thing to say. Now hurry up, here's some more of these dead flowers. Give me the basket. They went through the whole house together, room to room, up many stairs, floor to floor. Everywhere, Judith felt the curious silence and stillness. It cannot be doubted that Jane Foster felt it too. This is the silliest house I was ever in, she said. I'm glad I got you with me, Judy. If I was so alone being around here, it would give me the creeps. These big places ought to have big families in them. It was on the fourth floor that they came upon the closed room. Jane had found some of the doors shut and some open, and then a turn of the handle gave entrance through all the unopened ones until they reached one at the back on the fourth floor. Huh, this one won't open, said Jane when she tried the handle. Oh, there, I just remembered. This one's to be kept locked. Folks always has things they want locked up. Judith climbed the basement stairs rather slowly. Her mother was rearranging the disorder the hastily departing servants had left. Their departure had indeed been made sufficient haste, and they had left behind an air of things having been left in mid-flight. When the child found herself at the entrance hall, she stopped a few moments to look about her. The stillness seemed to hold her, and she paused to hear and feel it. In leaving the basement behind, she had left the movement of something living behind also. No one was alive on this floor, nor upon the next or the next. It was as if one entered a world, a world in which nothing existed which did not express itself in sound or things which one could see. Chairs held out their arms to emptiness. Cushions were not pressed by living things. Only people in pictures were looking at something, but no one could tell what they were looking at. But on the fourth floor was the closed room, which she must not go because she must not go. That's all she knew. She began to mount the stairs, which led to the upper floors. Her shabby doll was held against her hip by one arm. It was such a large house and so empty. Where had the people gone? Why had they left it as if they all ran out at once and afraid? She could see the door of the closed room as she went up step by step and found herself moving quickly. Yes, she must get to it. She must put her hand to it. She began to be glad. If anyone could have seen her, they would have been struck by a curious expectant smile in her eyes. She reached the landing and crossed it, running a few steps lightly. She did not wait or stand still but a moment. With a strange, expectant smile on her lips, she put her hand on the door, not upon the handle, but upon the panel, and without a sound it swung quite open, and without any sound she stepped quietly inside. The room was rather large. The light was dim. There were no shutters, but the blinds were drawn down. Judith went to one of the windows and drew its blind up so that the look of the place might be clear to her. There were two windows and they opened upon the flat roof of an extension, which suggested somehow that it had been used as a place to walk about in. This at least was what Judith thought of at once, that someone who used the room had been in the habit of going out on the roof and staying there as if there had been a sort of garden. 
There were rows of flower pots with now dead flowers in them, and there were green tubs containing large shrubs which were dead also. The ledge of the window was so low that a mere step took her outside. So taking it, she stood among the dried, withered things and looked in tender regret at them. The sun was hot, but a cool little breeze seemed straying up amongst the trees of the park. Involuntarily, she lifted her face to the blue sky and floating white clouds. They seemed so near, she felt almost as if she could touch them with her hand. The street seemed so far, far away. She knew not why she had come up here. It was just that she felt she might like this. There was no perfume in the air, but all was sweet and clear. Suddenly, she turned around and went into the room again. It was not like the other room she had seen. It looked more simple, though it was a pretty place. The walls were covered with roses, and there were bright pictures and shelves of books. There was also a little writing desk, and there were two or three low chairs and a low table. A closet in the, do in the corner had its door ajar, and Judith could see toys inside piled up together. In another corner was a large dollhouse, looking as if somebody had just stopped playing with it. Hmm, it was a little girl's room, said Judith. Why did they close it? Her eye was caught by something lying on the sofa, something covered with a cloth. It looked almost like a child lying asleep there. Judith moved across the sofa and drew the cloth. With its head upon a cushion was lying there a very large doll, beautifully dressed in white lace, its eyes closed, and a little wreath of dead flowers in its hair. Huh, looks almost as if she had died too, said Judith. She didn't ask herself why she said, as if she had died too. Perhaps it was because the place was so still and everything so far away that the flowers had died in the strange little deserted garden on the roof. She did not hear any footsteps, but she quickly ceased to bend forward and turned around to look at something which she knew was near her. There she was, and it was quite natural that she should be there. The little girl with the face like a white flower with the quantity of burnished coppery hair and the smile which deepened, with the dimple by her mouth, was there. You have come to play with me, she said. Yes, answered Judith. I wanted to come all night. I, I couldn't stay downstairs. No, said the child. You can't stay downstairs. Lift up the doll. They began to play as if they had spent their entire lives together. Neither asked the other any questions. Judith had not played with other children, but this one she played with an absolute lovely delight. The little girl knew where all the toys were, and there were a great many beautiful ones. She told Judith where to find things and how to arrange them for their games. Together they invented many wonderful things to do. Every moment was happiness. Every moment the little girl seemed to grow more beautiful in the flower whiteness of her face and hands and a strange lightness and freedom of her movement. There was an ecstasy in looking at her and feeling her near. Not long before Judith went downstairs, she found herself standing with her outside the window among the withered flowers. It was my garden, said the little girl. It had been so hot and no one has been nearby to water them so they could not live. She went lightly, one to one, to the rose bushes and pointed her little finger quite near it. She did not touch it, but held her hand near. 
The leaves began to stir and uncurl and suddenly became fresh and tender again. Roses were nodding and blooming at the stems and she did the same from every flower and every planter before the dreary little garden became alive again. It's life, she said to Judith. Judith nodded and smiled back at her, understanding. Without waiting or looking back, she thought she knew the white figure did not stir until she was out of sight. It was not until she reached the second floor that the change came upon her. It was a great change and a curious one. The closed room became as far away as all the other places. She suddenly realized things she hadn't known before. She knew she had heard no voice when the little girl spoke to her. She knew that it had happened, that she and only she had lifted the doll. She had taken out the toys, even though they had played with such enjoyment and laughed and feasted and, but what had they feasted on? That she could not recall. Not once had she touched or been touched by the light hand or the white dress. And it seemed as though they expressed their thoughts just freely. She realized she hadn't heard a voice at all. Through the weeks that followed, her habit of playing upstairs was accepted by as a perfectly natural thing. No questions were asked by her parents. Every day she went to the door of the closed room and finding it closed, at a touch of her hand upon the panel it swung open. The world below was gone as soon as she entered the room. They spent hours together playing as happy children. But once she went downstairs, she remembered what she had done that day, briefly made roses on the roof and put them on her playmate's head. She had drawn back with a deepened dimple and holding up her hand and saying, no, 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 don't touch me. There was no mystery in it. Judith knew presently she should understand. They had been together in the house for two months when one afternoon as she was slicing potatoes for supper, Jane looked around to see the child standing at the doorway looking with a puzzled expression at some wilted flower she held in her hand. What have you got there, Judy, she asked. They're flowers, said Judith. Where'd you get them from? I didn't know you'd been out. I thought you was upstairs. I was, said Judith, quite simply, in the closed room. Jane Foster's knife dropped into her pan with a splash. The closed room? What are you saying? You could get in. Yes, I can. Jane was conscious of experiencing a shock. She said afterwards that suddenly something gave her the creeps. You couldn't open the door. I tried it yesterday. I passed by. I turned the handle. I gave it a regular shove. It wouldn't give an inch. Yes, the child answered. I heard you. We were inside. When she went up to the closed room the next day, she told her mother that she was going before she left the kitchen. I'm going to play with the little girl, mother, she said. You don't mind, do you? Jane believed the child was mistaken as to the room she had been in. Well, that's all right, she said, but when I'm done my scrubbing, I'm coming up to see if it is the closed room you play in, and if it is, I guess you'd better play somewhere else, and I want to find out how you got that door open. Now run along if you like. 
Judith came back to her from the door. Yes, she said, come and see, but if she is there, you mustn't touch her. Her? The little girl who plays. I never touch her. She says I must not. Judith ran up three flights of stairs lightly. She was glad she had told her mother. She wondered vaguely why it had never seemed right to tell her until last night. And last night it had not seemed so much necessary as imperative. Something had obliged her to tell her. The time had come when she must know. The closed room door had shut itself gently after Judith passed through it. And yesterday when her mother, passing by by chance, had tried the handle so vigorously, the children inside had stood still gazing at each other, but neither had spoken. She was out of the realm of speech, and without any sense of amazement, she was aware she was out of it. People with voices and words were in that faraway place below. Playing today was an even lovelier, happy thing than it had been before. It seemed to become each minute a thing farther and farther away from the streets below. Judith found she was moving about the room in the little garden almost exactly as she moved in the waking dreams when she saw Aunt Hester. It was almost as if she was floating every moment in ecstasy. Once, as she thought this, she looked at her playmate. The child smiled and answered her as she always did before she spoke. I know her. She will come. She sent me. She had this day a special plan with regards to arranging the closed room. She wanted all the things in it, the doll, the chairs, the toys, the little table, to be in certain positions. She told Judith what to do, and Judith did it. It was a strange game to play, but when it was all done, the closed room looked quite different from the cold, dim, orderly place it had first been. It looked as if some child who lived in it and loved it played with each of its belongings and had just stepped out from her play to some other room. The child with the burnished hair stood and looked at it with a delicious smile. That's how it looked, she said. They came and hid everything, as if I had gone, as if I was nowhere. I want her to know I come here. I couldn't do it myself. You could do it for me. Go bring me some roses. The little garden was a wonder of strange beauty with its massive flowers, and Judith brought some roses. She put them in a light bowl. They look great like that, the little girl said. She would see, but no one sees them like that when the life goes away from me. After the game was finished, they went out on the roof garden and stood and looked at the blue above their heads. How blue, blue, blue and clear, and how real and near it all was and how far and on a reel the streets below were. Then Judith felt a little tired. I will go down and lie on the sofa, she said. Yes, the little girl answered. It's time for you to go to sleep. They went into the closed room and Judith lay down. As she did so, she saw the door was standing open and remembered that her mother was coming up to see her and her playmate. The little girl sat down by her. She put out her pretty fine hand and touched Judith for the first time. She laid her little pointed fingers on her forehead and Judith fell asleep.
It seemed only a matter of minutes before she wakened again. The little girl was standing by her. Come, she said. They went out onto the roof among the flowers. The garden did not end at the parapet, and the streets and houses were not below. The little garden ended in a broad green pathway with green, thick, soft grass and moss. Trees, leaves as if spring had just awakened them, shaded them, making them look smiling and fair. There was no boundary or end to its beauty, and it was only one, another real thing that was coming towards them. From under the white flowering trees was Aunt Hester. In the basement, Jane Foster was absorbed with her labors. She was so busy this particular afternoon, it was inevitable that she should forget all else but the work which kept her at her knees scrubbing floors. She was doing this last when her attention was being attracted by wheels in the street stopping before the doors. She looked out to see a carriage door open and a young woman dressed in exceptionally deep morning garb step onto the pavement, cross it, and ascend the front steps. A ring at the front doorbell called her down. She turned down her sleeves and, and ran upstairs to the entrance hall. When she opened the door, the tall young woman in black stepped inside as if there was no reason for her to remain even a moment at the threshold. I am Mrs. Heldon, she said. I suppose you are the caretaker? Heldon was the name of the people to whom the house belonged. Mrs. Heldon was tall and young. Her garments were rich and heavy with crepe. The long black veil which she had thrown back swept over her shoulder and hung beside her. She had been a smart, lovely, and laughing and lovable thing, full of pleasure in the world. And now her face was so stricken and devastated, she seemed set apart in an awfully lonely world of her own. She fell into one of the carved hall seats and dropped her face into her hands, her elbows resting at her knees. Oh, no, 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 I can't believe it, I can't believe it. Jane Foster's eyes filled with good-natured, ready tears of sympathy. Oh, won't you come upstairs, ma'am, she said. Would you like to sit in your own room, perhaps? No, no, was the answer. She was always there. She used to come into my bed in the morning. She used to watch me dress and go out. No, no. I'll, I'll open the shutters in the library, said Jane. Oh, no, no, she would be sitting in the big sofa with her big fairy book. She's everywhere, everywhere. How could I come? Why did I? But I couldn't keep away. I tried to stay in the mountains, but I couldn't. Something dragged me day and night. Nobody knows I'm here. She got up and looked about her again. I have never been here since I went out with her. They would not let me come back. They said it would kill me, and now I have come, and everything is here, all the things we lived with, and she... She is millions and millions and millions of miles away. Who, who was it? Jane asked timidly in a low voice. It was my little girl, the poor young woman said. It was my Andrea. Her portrait is in the library. Jane began to tremble somewhat to herself that she, she's dead. Mrs. Haldon had dragged herself almost as if unconsciously to the stairs. Oh, I, I don't know. I cannot believe it. How could she be? She was playing in her nursery, laughing and playing, and she ran into the next room to show me a flower. She looked up at me laughing, I tell you, laughing. 
and she sank down on her knees and the flower fell out of her hand quietly and then everything went out of her face. Everything was gone from her and, 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 and there was never more anything from her, never. Jane Foster's hand crept up to her throat. She didn't know what she meant of feeling suddenly cold. My little girl, she began. Her name's Judith. Where is she? said Mrs. Haldon in a breathless way. She is, she's upstairs. She goes into that back room on the fourth floor. Mrs. Haldon turned upon her with wide eyes. It's locked, she said. They put everything away. I have the key. The, the, the door opens for her, said Jane. She goes there to play with a little girl who comes to her. I, I, I think she comes over the roof across from the next house. There is no child there. Mrs. Haldon suddenly shuddered with horror. There was actually a wild, dawning bliss on her face. What is she like? Well, well, I, I, she's like in the picture. Jane scarcely knew her own voice. She began to shiver. Her warm blood was growing cold. She is a child with red hair. There is a deep dimple in her mouth. Judith told me you must not touch her. She heard a wild gasp. Mrs. Haldon turned and fled up the stairs, with Jane Foster following. The door of the closed room stood wide open and Ms. Haldon was swept inside. Jane saw her stand in the middle of the room a second, a tall swaying figure. She whirled to look about her and flung her arms up with an unearthly, rapturous, whispered cry. It is all as she left it when she ran to me and fell. She has been here to show me it is not so far. She sank slowly to her knees, a wild happiness on her face, tears pawling down her. She has seen her! She stretched forth yearning arms to the little figure of Judith, who lay quiet upon the sofa in the corner. Your little girl has seen her. I dare not waken her. She's asleep. Jane stood by the sofa looking down. When she bent and touched the child, the stillness of the room seemed to have got into her blood. No, she said, quivering, but with a strange simplicity. No, not asleep. It was this way with her Aunt Hester. This story was written by Frances Hodgson. Thank you to Laura Byrne for reading this story. And a massive thank you to Tech Liminal for sponsoring this podcast. Go to techliminal.com to master the technology you need to run your life. Join the hysteria, find more episodes, and learn more about this podcast at hysteriapod.com.